Hello and welcome to another edition of the Le Domestique Cycling Podcast, a podcast all about cycling and the incredible adventures you can have on your bike. It's been a while since you've heard from us. We've been really busy, quite frankly, running um, an ever-growing range of tours, uh, so it's been quite challenging to find the time to put the podcast together. But over the last couple of months, we've been working really hard, recording lots of content, and we've got some really interesting conversations coming up over the next few weeks and months, all about the tours, what we've been up to, um, some features about climbing, some technical stuff, and um, some stories from guests and some fun behind-the-scenes stuff as well. So please bear with us. Um, thank you for your patience. And um, yeah, like I say, we'll have some really interesting stuff. Now, this first episode, we've been doing an increasing number of charity events, and um, we were contacted earlier this year by a group who were looking to ride the Land Centre John O'Groats. And the way these things go, we um, did some initial stuff. We we um, agreed to do the tour, and then it's kind of been a, a learning process for us in terms of what actually has is, has gone into this, in terms of the charity angle, and of course, um, what's actually driving this this project in the first place. Now, you're going to hear from Paul Cook and Jill, his wife. Um, Paul has a pretty challenging story, to be honest. He was diagnosed with a um, uh, lung cancer condition, uh, mesothelioma, which um, doesn't bring a good diagnosis. Um, it's, it's terminal. However, on learning this, Paul has gone through a pretty incredible journey. He talks more about what's happened to him and what procedures he's gone through, but it's staggering, quite frankly, that he's now looking at um, doing Land's Enter John O'Groats. But this is a really interesting conversation. It's pretty warts and all. Um, I, I think it's important that we hear these things. Paul's big message is that he wants to provide hope to people with this um, type of lung cancer because currently I think there's very little out there and their goal is to um, complete Lanza to John O'Groats, him and his friends um, and I'll let Paul and Jill tell you more about their story. Now it's quite challenging to put this together. I recorded this via Skype. I was in a hotel in Austria um, where indeed I am right now recording this little intro. So um, they've got a busy life, um, their family, so um, yeah, putting this together was quite tricky, but Paul and Jill are uh, both fantastic people and I think you'll really enjoy their story, so um, yeah, listen in and um, hopefully it, it gives you some food for thought. Now, for the Land Centre Journal Groups, that starts in early September and we're going to be covering it in, in pretty good detail. We've got lots of Instagram, YouTube and um, we're intending to have another couple of podcasts um, along the way, so you'll be able to keep up to date with their journey but we'd love it if you could um, support the charity Erase Miso which is Paul and uh, Jill's charity um, they're there to support people with the um, with the lung cancer and um, generally provide a, a piece of some hope to people like I say they're fantastic people I think it's an incredible journey that they're going on and it's something that helps put things in perspective I mean I was listening to this story and um yeah, it, it, it's a tough listen, but it's, it's a very interesting listen, and I'd um, love it if you could uh, share the journey with them and help raise the profile of their cause, because it really is a good one. So I'll hand over. It's quite an abrupt start. We had some communication issues, but once you get going, I'm, I'm, sure, you'll, um, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So I'll leave it there. I'll hand over to our interview with um, Paul and Jill from Arrays Miso. Paul, you've been diagnosed with... Um... Miso. So perhaps if you could give us a bit of background on on that. So that whole situation that's led you to where you are with Le Jong. Uh So yeah, I mean, I was 
2017, November 14th, I, I was diagnosed with mesothelioma. Um, you know, it's a terminal cancer uh, caused by asbestos. Um, came out of nowhere because that year I had been pretty fit, commuting to work, mountain biking, kite surfing. Um, then October, I, you know, I've been kite surfing in roads for a couple of weeks. I've been mountain biking the South Downs Way. Uh, then got a cold, then got man flu, um, pneumonia and a collapsed lung. And that happened within about two, two and a half weeks. So they did an operation to um, reinflate my lung. Um, I was very lucky, actually, in a way that because I'd been quite fit, they couldn't understand why a 43-year-old man had gone down the, gone downhill so quickly. Um, and they kept investigating, and then they found out I had mesothelioma. Um, so... And as I say, it came literally from being beginning of October, um, uh, being pretty fit and healthy. By end of October, having pneumonia. By middle of November, being told to go home and prepare your things because you've got terminal cancer. Right. So quite quite a roller coaster. Mm. And how common is it? How many, How often are they making this sort of diagnosis? Is it something that? could have been spotted sooner or or is this a sort of a fairly typical um a typical progression well it's quite it's quite a typical progression i mean so there's, there's more than one question in there so how common yeah. is it and is this a typical progression so we just divide the two mm-hmm. so yes that is pretty typical something like that happens um uh it is often cold things like night sweats flu type symptoms then pneumonia um, and, and, and that's where the diagnosis comes out. But often it's, it, it's, it's misdiagnosed for months and months and months, which this is such an aggressive cancer that, frankly, if it's not caught um, uh, at a certain time, you, you really don't have any chance at all. Um, you ask whether it's common. Well, this is the thing. It's way more common than anyone realizes. Yeah. So most people think that... Um, you know, asbestos is banned. It was banned in 91. So on that basis, we don't have a problem anymore. Yeah. The issue is there was a proliferation of asbestos between, you know, 1940s and 1980s. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's in our schools, hospitals, homes, uh, churches, offices, etc., etc. Yeah. So on, on that basis, I mean, this is actually a cancer that is growing, not declining. Yeah. Um, the official numbers are about 2,700 people die a year. Um, the health and safety executive have just doubled that. Um, we're talking to surgeons and, and QCs that are saying the number is far greater, but they don't have the data at this moment in time. But but to put it in perspective, it's bigger than skin cancer. Right. And, 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 and the problem with it is, you know, asbestos, like any building material, takes time to decay. Yeah. And it takes 20, 30, 40, 50 years to decay. And you don't need to be in a building that's falling down. Um, it's, it's dust particles, you know. It's, it's, yeah. it's sort of the tenth of a width of a human hair. Um, that, 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 can, uh, that, that is poisonous and, and, and can give you um, asbestos-related cancers. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that, that, that's how it comes about. And it, it is far more common than people realise. You know, it's in uh, some studies came out recently for those primary schools that, that did respond. It was in more than half of primary schools. Nine out of 10 NHS trusts have admitted that they are running hospitals with asbestos in them. So this is very much a problem of today, not yesterday.
Yeah. Okay. And 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 then to be clear, because I think one of the common misconceptions is that it, you know, you, you'd worked in an industry where asbestos is, you know, the building trade or something like that. You you don't know how you how you got it. So you're completely right. So I mean, the, the things it was considered to be an old man's disease. Number one. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, that you were either in the construction industry, docking, or the military. Yeah. Um, uh, I haven't worked in any of any of those industries. I've never been on a building site in my life. Um, we're investigating as to where I got it from, but it certainly wasn't, you know, wasn't what people would expect. Mm-hmm. And actually, if we look at um, where recent cases are coming from, certainly a number of people that I know, um, none of them fit that profile. There's been a huge, uh, sadly, there's been a huge um, uh, increase in the amount of uh, women that have mesothelioma. Um, yeah, something like since the 1990s, there's been a 96% increase in the amount of women suffering from mesothelioma, generally wow. peritoneal, which is... Um, mesothelioma of the abdomen yeah uh, and 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 it's 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 quite shocking actually you you're guaranteed generally not to know about mesothelioma unless you've been diagnosed or your family of those diagnosed yeah. so you know part of the charity you raise meso is to raise awareness of the disease and obviously raise funds uh for research into it because they're pretty close to a cure now it's okay. just a case of funding so that so that takes us quite nicely on onto the so you've obviously had this terrible um, diagnosis and an awful time but you've you've um, started the charity Erase Miso and perhaps you could tell us a bit a bit more about the charity. Well, look, I think I think it's three things to the charity, right? So uh, one is to raise funds for scientific research and 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 it's to either sort of maintain or cure the disease. I think, frankly, in my lifetime, it will be more about maintenance than cure. So I think it's something we'll be able to hopefully keep under keep under control. Um, obviously, that's if if I live that long. Um, num- number two is to raise awareness because, unfortunately, not you know people just don't, don't know about it. We have. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't. I mean, me so me so what? I mean, yeah, we kind of thought that asbestos had almost disappeared. You know, in the nineteen eighties. But, yeah, but, but, but the third thing, and this is really important, right? It, it's to, and this will sort of brings us onto the onto the ride in some ways. It's to provide some hope. Um, sure. I can tell you now, you know, to be told that you have terminal cancer and you're going to die, and in Mesa, in in the case of me, so you're going to die in the next sort of six to eighteen months, and you're going to die a pretty pretty painful death. I mean, that that's horrible. Yes. What is devastating is when there is zero hope. Yeah. If you Google it, they say 45%, sorry, 55% of people die in the first six months since prognosis, uh, 40% of people die in the next six months. I was sat there having chemo. There was a changeover in terms of nurses. One of them came along, and I'll never forget it. She said, what are we in for? And I said, mesothelioma. And she patted me on the shoulder, rubbed my shoulder, and walked off. And, and, and you know, this isn't the criticism of the nurses, but, I mean, that's what we have to – it's just considered – it, it's a terminal cancer and you have no chance and it's only going downhill from now. Yeah. And coming home, I'll never forget November the 14th, you know, you, you're told don't Google it. So the first thing yeah. you do is Google it, right? And yeah. it, it, it's awful. And, and if you're told you're given devastating news 
but there's a glimmer of hope. Sure. At least, at least you can fight. There's something worth fighting for. Yeah, there's so many people that they, you know, that are being diagnosed, and it, it's as though everyone's already given up on. So, when I was, um, we talk about the treatments if you if you want to, but I, you know, I, I didn't really have a choice, but anyway, elected to go through some very aggressive treatments. Um, at the time, my, my, my son was uh, was five. Um, and when coming out of intensive care, I swore that if I made it out of hospital, then I was going to do something about this. Yeah. Um, we not only started the charity, but I wanted to do something that was that will provide some hope. And something, you know, for someone that's been through the, the treatments I have, something pretty extreme. Yeah, sure. So I think that nicely takes us to the key thing. So you're obviously... You're doing Land's End to John O'Groats, which I think is a well-known challenge to just about any cyclist. It's a, a massive undertaking for, um, you know, for a regular rider. So to be doing it um, with Miso as well, I think is one of those things that sort of frankly boggles boggles people's minds a bit. And, and you told me a really interesting thing that this is the first time that we're aware of that someone is doing Land's End to John O'Groats with this. And in fact, there's actually two people um, within your group that are, uh, that are currently um, suffering with Miso. And that, that's staggering, isn't it? I think. Um, well, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I don't want to appear in any way sort of arrogant. We're told it's, a, we're told if one person does it, it will be a world first. If two of us do it, I think it almost definitely is. Yeah. Um, Nigel was given a very short period of time to live. The, the, the other person is Nigel Shaddock. Um, you know, we know about my prognosis, but we were different. Um, if I look at Nigel, he's gone through some new and experimental treatments, uh, immunotherapy, um, which have, 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 don't get me wrong, he's had various side effects and he's had a pretty hard time, but they, they, they've worked wonders on him, which is fantastic. Um, I've gone down a more uh, traditional route. Um, yeah. So if I look at me, um, I had part of my lung removed. I had the lining taken off my lung. I've had um, six rounds of chemotherapy, but three chemos at the same time. I've had radiotherapy, heart failure, radiation fibrosis, no nerve damage, um, muscle atrophy of about 40 years, uh, and had to basically rebuild from what was a pretty broken man. Yeah. Um, so the reason that we're doing this is you know one frankly because we want to show ourselves um, I think both Nigel and I feel that unless we're moving forward then you know it's a pretty scary place to be but also to you know hopefully give some people that have been diagnosed a, 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 a bit of hope that don't listen it's not you know it, it, it's not necessarily the end just yet yeah, I mean, that, we were having a little chat before we started recording, and I think that was the, the thing that really hit home with me, is you want to communicate this, um, the point that, you know, if you Google it, it, it doesn't come up with good stuff. So hopefully this gives a route to a more positive, um, you know, a more positive Googling and, and gives people hope. If you're able to complete a challenge of this nature, I, I mean, it's staggering, it, it, frankly. But, but look, I mean, we have worked so hard um, for, you know, obviously, uh, I'd imagine some be cyclists listening to this. Um, I looked at one of my first kind of Strava posts, you know, po you know, after all the treatments. Yeah. And I don't really know how I went this slowly, 
Um, but two and a half miles took me 35 minutes Yeah, on a bike. So and that kind of puts it in perspective. And when was that for? Um, March, April last year. Wow, yeah. T- 2018. Yeah, because I stopped chemo about July, but I was training through, I say training, I was getting on a bike throughout the treatments, but I've yeah. come out of uh, hospital having having had the operation with the lung, etc. Um, so it, it, it's been quite an uphill battle. Sure. And obviously, your immune system shot. So, you know, the first thing was um, literally trying to go a week without getting ill. Yeah. And though you felt that you could um, do something physically, you only had to slightly overexert yourself and you got really ill again because your immune system was almost non-existent. Yeah. Well, Pete's incredible. I think, you know, Paul's mental strength and, you know, kind of temerity. He's just, he's, from the beginning, he's just really said, obviously there have been real kind of horrific, horrific lows. and But, you know, generally the real constant in all of this has been Paul. Um, he's been so incredibly positive. Um, you know, even after coming back from, like, he's cringing because I'm saying this. But I should I pour myself say a glass <laughs> <laughs> No, honestly, we got back from, um, obviously, his surgery. He'd done really well. He'd worked really hard. He said to the physio, whatever you're supposed to be doing, can we just, you know, double it? I'm, I'm going to work really hard. And um, he was up and moving around so much faster. Um, his, the, his his pain threshold's incredible. Um, anyway. No, no, no. I oh, stopped getting so embarrassed. But anyhow, um, as soon as we got out of the car... Um, I could see he was visibly bulking from, you know, some of the, the bumps in the roads and things like that, because obviously he just had, you know, half his lung cut out. Cut out. Um, he got out the cab and we were all waiting for him, ready to kind of just say, you know, welcome home, et cetera, et cetera. And he got out of the cab and um, started walking. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, um, training starts today. <laughs> and he very slowly tried to take himself around the block. And do you know what? He very slowly did it <laughs> and um and that was him he he then started setting himself tasks of you know ten thousand steps a day you know honestly hats off to him he's an incredible guy he really is so, yeah that, that's really nice to hear i imagine you're blushing paul <laughs> yeah i mean this is i mean this is pretty awful right now i kind of want to um yeah finish this and uh, yeah <laughs> So, so giving you giving you a quick way out. Um, I, I take it you were active before. Were you, were you a keen cyclist before, or was was no, I bought a road bike in September October 2018. Okay. Um, I like mountain bikes. I used to go to. Um, I used to do a bit of commuting with my hybrid. Um, I had a mountain bike, um, but was I a cyclist? Um, no, and the idea of, uh, I never ever thought that you would find me in Lycra, <laughs> um, whereas now I kind of bowl into restaurants like it's the most normal thing in the world, <laughs> post-ride in, in, in Lycra. So, no, I wasn't, I was relatively active, but I wasn't a cyclist. Yeah. It was actually, um, when I was in hospital, somebody bought me Mark Beaumont's book. Okay. You know Mark Bowman, the cycle around the world? Yeah. Um, it was actually him cycling through Africa, and we, uh, somebody bought me that book. I read that book. Sarah and, Fisher. And I thought, if I can 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know why I'd, I'd done that. And then I'd seen, you know, about uh, Le Jog and then put two and two together. And uh, the next thing we'd uh, got a bunch of us together. Um, I partly hold all my friends responsible because when I came up with the idea, I was on 60 milligrams of morphine a day. Um, so when I talked about cycling the jog, my friend should have said no. And then they all went, yes. But, so and we, probably live to regret it, don't they? I think I think it's quite interesting, you know, watching Paul's mates. They've all gone from kind of, you know, sitting around talking about bead and, you know, lad stuff. Yeah. Just suddenly kind of... Um, what is it? Saddle rash <laughs> and still beer, but so, you know. <laughs> I mean, we we got we got a bunch of cyclists that um that I don't think there are of our fourteen. That frankly, you guys are leading us round. Yeah. Of the fourteen, there were three keen cyclists. Okay. So the rest, I mean, they've been amazing. Um, there have been people that have been buying, you know, bikes, having not cycled for 20-odd years, um, and uh, everyone's got got behind it. Um, and actually, you've got a few people that have become very, very keen. And, and also, you're, you're bringing friends from very kind of disparate social groups together, and it's incredible yeah. watching how that group's kind of bonded as well. And, and I'd also like to say thank you very much to the wives of those those guys. We've got, we've got two lovely ladies there as well, Nina and Tam, but to uh, all the very uh, sympathetic and lovely wives who've kind of let their husbands off for the weekend to go and do all these, you know, uh, rides and, and, and training. I'd just like to say thank you very much for your contribution to Raise Me. So. Yeah, that, that's, that's always important. I think everyone, I mean, what's fantastic is you, you really do have a team, I think, and that's, that's amazing. This, yeah. sort, this sort of challenge and, and the circumstances that are um, overlaying it all, you, you need yeah. a team, don't you? And you need, you need people that are going to be there for each other. And I think yeah. we've chatted and our intention is to sort of document the whole journey and and i think you'll see the everything you'll see the um the highs and the lows and um yeah the the dark moments and the happy moments and everything else and and there's quite a nice parallel there between um sort of everything we've talked about and then the lands end to john groats um itself and if i can if i can ask a question for i suspect so this will be mostly cyclists from our side of things listening to this. And we're all acutely aware of our limiting factor being, you know, breathing and, and how much oxygen can we get into our body? I wonder if you'd be happy to sort of talk about that side of things. You've obviously had, um, you know, you've told us there about what you've had done to your lungs. How, how do you find that impacts you on the bike? Is, is it a, a serious restriction or is it something that you've found a way to sort of work around and, and um, you know, I think cyclists by nature are, are data geeks and things like that. So is, is there anything going into it? Are you monitoring heart rate or anything like that? Okay. So yeah, remember your oncologist. So, of this. Um, so <laughs> let, 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 let's think about, I mean, it's a bit of a journey, right? So at one point, if you post surgery and chemo and all the rest of it, my heart rate, my resting heart rate was about 110 to 120, 125. Yeah. Um, which is which is enormous, um, yeah. obviously. What's normal? But now it's like 59. Yeah. I, I would think most people listening to this would be sort of 50, 60, 70, something like that as a reference. Yeah. So, so mine now is, is sort of 59 to 63. Yeah. But 
what with surgery and, and then, you know, just all the drugs sort of going around. Um, what people don't realize about chemo is chemo takes a year to two years to, to get it out of your system. Right. So, I mean, it's not just about the lungs. Um, so you asked about that. Obviously, the biggest issue, you know, if you're, if you're a cyclist and you're doing hills, the, the more lung capacity you have, the better. Yes, of course. So I've really got one working lung yeah. and a bit of another. Um, yeah. And I say a bit of another. I, I can't be, for the data geeks out there, I can't, you know, some people have said it's more like a 30% working lung. Some people have said it's more like 70%. But what happens is there's so much scarring. I've got no lining. There's so much scarring yeah. that it sort of shrivels up. So I need to, I, I need to get it, um, uh, I, need to, I need to get it moving. But how does that affect me? When I hit a hill... It's like, at some points, it's like someone has just turned the oxygen off. Yeah. I don't know if anybody out there has ever, ever scuba dived. I, I did quite a bit in my time. But it's like being underwater and someone's literally just come and turned the tank off. It's the strangest feeling because yeah. I just cannot get enough ox- oxygen in on a really big hill. So I've had to really, really concentrate on breathing and, 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 and breathing techniques. Yeah. Uh, but not only that, it's because of the chemotherapy. The chemotherapy has strangles the blood vessels. So therefore, the oxygen transfer and the chemical transfer within the body has, was pretty shocking, which obviously um, uh, didn't help with, with the uh, reduced physiology of the lungs. Um, so that's that. Then we've got, um, coming back to the heart rate thing. So I've had to really work to get that heart rate down to be yeah. anything normal because at one point um ironically i had something called Potts syndrome now Potts syndrome <laughs> is something that they couldn't work out at first because you should only really get it if you're a teenage girl um right. but with, with all the drugs it's completely sent my you know my, my my hormones out of kilter so it's that fight or flight mechanism so i would stand up and my heart rate would jump to maybe 150 160 okay so it was just an overreaction to everything. So yeah. that, that that's come down. So we've had to really work on sort of getting the getting the um, uh, heart rate down. The other thing, of course, is um, I because of the amount of drugs I've I've had. You know, I had the chemo because even when I'd finished the chemo, at one point I was taking about 240 pills a week. So yeah. I'm, I'm not taking anything now, but as you can imagine, I've just got so much stuff pumping around my body yeah. um, that I couldn't really clear the lactic acid. Mm-hmm. So you know, you can imagine after a, a big day, my my legs were killing me, and I mean it was really. And, and whereas you know what it's like, it might be bad the next day, it's worse the day after that. But then actually, it just starts to get better. Yeah. I could have you know a, a week, week and a half after a big day when my legs were very, very sore, and it's because frankly my body's working on clearing other things rather than rather than that. Yeah. So they've been they've been some of the challenges, um, and I still get very tired. Yeah, uh, uh, as you would uh, uh, as you'd expect. Yes, uh, but but yeah. Apart from that, we're all good. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it's incredible, and I mean we're really proud to be part of it, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to be an incredible. Um, journey i think as maybe some final thoughts why don't you tell us what are you most looking forward to um and you can't say the finish um and what are you perhaps most nervous about over over the course of the route is there anything in particular 
um, route wise have you done any research obviously uh, I've, yeah I've, I've got your route Rob I mean yeah. day one scared day two even more scared day eight terrified um, I mean say Devon and Cornwall are horrendous yeah uh, so what am I scared of um, I'm pretty scared of Devon and Cornwall not, not the ride in itself but I'm really what the most I have no idea how my body's going to react. I mean, I I can't have trained much harder. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, there's a whole load of other stuff we haven't talked about. My shoulder drops, this, that, and the other. So I have to do kind of weights four or five times a week in order to be able to sort of uh, maintain a, a a body that's straight with shoulders that are straight and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's not much more I could have done in. There's always more you could have done in training, but I've worked very very hard. Yeah. But until you do something like this, you know, you, this is the first. So. Um, I just have no idea how my body is going to stand up to this. Um, my what's really scary is if my body just packed in after you know day one or day yeah. two because I'd feel like, frankly, a bit of a failure. I'd feel like I'm letting um, letting a lot of people down. Yeah. So. So that is probably my my biggest fear, making, you know, making a bit of fool, a bit of a fool of myself in that I'm trying to do this thing to give everybody hope and I fail. That's actually my, if I'm honest, that's my biggest fear. Yeah, that, I mean that makes perfect sense, and I'm sure Jill will tell you the same. I don't think your worries in that sense are about how you would appear it would be completely unfounded. But I I, I understand what you're saying for sure. Um, I mean, it's a big challenge for, for anybody. It's um, huge, but come on, you know, he's doing lines into John O'Groots, which is hard for any yeah, professional exactly. cyclist. He's yeah. doing it one and a half lungs. It's no, yeah. it's, you know, it, I'm just proud of him. I'm just proud of him nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, that's, I think that's completely fair. <laughs> but then to turn it to a more positive, what, what are you looking forward to? I mean, there's some stunning, there's some stunning riding over the course of the jog. Um, I'm sure there'll be some um, highlights. Is there anything in particular that you're you're looking forward to, or are you just going to take it one day at a time? No, I mean there's there's loads of stuff I'm looking forward to actually. So um, you talked about the team that we put together, and, and genuinely, I, I know I sort of joking earlier on that I was on 60 milligrams of morphine, and people said, "Well, I'll do it," but I really mean that's sort of how it's happened. Yeah. People have said, you know, I'm in, and people have literally bought bikes to do this. Yeah. So we're talking about people that have had to go on a real journey themselves. Yeah. Um, His best mate's lost, practice, I mean, so much weight, hasn't he? Yeah, about four and a half, four and a half stone. So incredible. I, I, well I, I think the, I think the idea of spending time with these guys is going to be great. Yeah. Number one. Um, the just actually seeing the the British. Uh, countryside. I mean, you see anything. Uh, if you really want to see things, do it on a bike. Um, the the sense of achievement. Actually, I know I talk about giving other people hope, but just being selfish for a minute. The and, and, and Nigel would um, probably agree with this by doing something that can't be done it's almost like i'm cycling to stay alive yeah uh, it's it, it it's 
it's fighting mesothelioma and it's it, it's kind of taking control of something that supposedly I'm I'm not able to take control of. Yeah. So I think I think and and lastly, you know what? We've got a great bunch of people and I think we are this is hopefully something that everybody's going to be talking about in years to come that they've actually yes it's been hard yes there's been the highs and the lows but actually they've had you know when they look back might be type two fun but when they look back they've had they've had an amazing experience yeah well i i think that sums it all up um and yeah like i say it's something we're we're very proud to be a part of and um thank you to the domestic thank you to all of you guys well yeah no thank thank you to you guys so (laughs) We'll put we'll put all the notes in the actual podcast. But if if you want to say sort of social media um, usernames, all that sort of stuff, feel free to do it now. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Phil. Um, so we've got um, um, at erase me so uh, is our Instagram thing. We've got well, obviously hashtag erase me so. We've also got an erase me so page on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, and for any of the caterers out there, um, there's the mesocaterersblog.com, which is which is actually my personal diary. I never ever thought I'd publish it, um, and found it quite awkward to do so. My turn to be awkward, um, but it's it was just basically my diary from day one um, of, of Paul being diagnosed. And if it helps anyone out there um, who is looking after someone who's suffering from this this type of cancer um then you know i'm delighted with that yeah no, also, obviously the website <laughs> raise me dot org dot org and it's m-e-s-o so we'll raise m-e-s-o dot org we'll put all the links in and then so we discussed again before before we started recording so our plan here is to um put together a real warts and all um, full experience of it. So we'll do some more audio for podcasts. We'll be getting lots of video. There'll be daily little snippets and things like that. And I understand um, that there'll be a tracker on Paul so people will be able to see where he's going. Um, And then, yeah, so it'd be really, really um, appreciated if you could raise awareness of it, share this with your friends. Hopefully we can give you quite an interesting journey with, um, with Paul and the rest of the team. So there we go. Thanks very much for listening. Hopefully you really enjoyed it. It's a really interesting tale and it's one that we're going to be telling in great detail over the um, course of the Land's End to John and Groats attempt in September. As ever, you can follow us on um, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. They're all at Ladom Tours or our website ladom.cc. Um, yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and leave us a comment. Let us know what else you'd like to hear and um, we'll be putting out new content new episode soon. Thanks very much.